welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. episode 143 of the proper mental podcast um i'm a little bit in shock and i'm absolutely over the moon to be able to say that my guest this week is danny mcnamara who is the front man and the singer in embrace and danny formed embrace with his brother in the early 90s and they were together for a little while before releasing their debut album the goodwill out in 1996 it's one of my favorite albums i think for a lot of music fans particularly fans of that era of music it's considered a, a seminal record you know it's a wonderful record the band are actually getting ready to play it in full for the 25th anniversary as this goes out they've just announced the tour around about now but since that record they've gone on to release a total of eight albums all of which have charted in the top 10 and danny experienced mental health challenges as a teenager and at one point he was having 15 panic attacks a day he was originally diagnosed with a fear of evil because this was in the mid to late 80s and there really wasn't much understanding of mental illness at that time And that diagnosis would eventually be updated to PTSD and more recently to the pure O version of OCD. And in this episode, I chat to Danny about the early days of the band and his memories of recording that debut album. We talk about how PTSD entered his life after a traumatic event and the impact that it had on his life. And we talk about how he eventually recovered and why he decided to start speaking publicly about his experiences. We chat about the importance of talking, the benefits of therapy being in a band and we talk about how getting married and having kids finally brought Danny a sense of peace. Um, Embrace released a wonderful album last year. It's called How to Be a Person Like Those Other People and we talk a lot about that title and that's a a really really lovely part of the conversation actually. This was such a special episode for me. I kind of mentioned before how much I love The Goodwill Out, that first Embrace album. I like all of their albums. I've been a big fan of this band since day one really. The debut was actually the third record I ever bought. And I've seen him live and at festivals and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was so sick to meet Danny. And he's a lovely bloke and I cannot thank him enough for his time. Like I say, Embrace are about to go out on tour, playing that album in full. You can get tickets at embrace.co.uk. I don't need to tell you where to find Embrace, right? But yeah, on their website, on all the usual social media places. If you are a member of the Proper Mental Patreon community... You might have already heard this episode. I recorded it a couple of weeks back and I uploaded straight to the Patreon page. And that's what I do with all the episodes. And Patreon, if you don't know, is just a way that you can support this podcast. I'm completely independent. I don't have any ads, any sponsors, any networks, nothing at all. And I do that on purpose because I think as a mental health podcast, how could I have someone on to tell me a really challenging, heartfelt story and interrupt it halfway to try and sell you a discount code for a mattress or something like that so it's important to me that i keep this independent and the patreon is just a way for people who listen to the show people who benefit from the show just to help me keep the show on the road really it's five pound a month you get early access to episodes you get the video recording to the episodes and as i get more people on board as it grows i'm going to do all these different things we're going to have online hangouts and all these different ideas i'm working on so that's all coming and there's a link in the episode notes if you wanted to sign up for the patreon if you're a music fan and you're particularly interested in music related episodes have a look through the back catalogue there's plenty there for you people like adam nutter from the music frank turner tom and katie from the lottery winners 
Bill McCarthy from Augustine's, Ian Winwood, who's a Kerrang journalist, Eddie Temple Morris, all sorts of other music-related people. Go and have a listen. This is episode 143 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Danny McNamara. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy! So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Danny McNamara. How are you, mate? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. I can see through your window that the sun's shining a little bit there, and it is through yeah. mine too. It's been a while, yeah, not huh? Too bad. Not too bad. I might go out for a walk later. It's all right. Yeah, life's a bit better when the uh, when the sun's shining. Eh? It makes a <laughs> makes a makes a big difference. A big difference. Um, as we record this, mate, um, you and Embrace have just announced the the tour that you're going on, where you're going to be playing the debut album. Um, in yeah. full. And I thought that was a really cool place for us to start. I know we're supposed to um start with the whole like what's next thing at the end, but like that's the debut album's the start, right? So we're doing it this way. Okay, um, but. I always, um, I always like for myself, like listening to albums, they're always kind of like a, like a marker in time, right. Or like a line in the sand. And when I listen to them as well as enjoying the music, there's often a, a sort of nostalgia to it and it stirs things up. It helps me to connect to the person that I was maybe when I heard it at the time. And I was wondering if it was that's the same for you guys, like exploring the songs again, maybe, uh, going through the album in full, if it's kind of, yeah, mixing things up a little bit for you. Yeah, a little bit. Um, We've uh, just recently um, started doing our own Patreon and as a result of that, we've sort of been going back over sort of all the archives and stuff from, yeah, from when we did the first album and all the way up to today, really. Um, and there's even going to be some stuff uh, from before we got a record deal as well. So, um, and yeah, just going through all that, um and sort of reliving, you know, the recording process for the Goodwill Out or re-listening to old demos and stuff. Yeah, it definitely uh, takes you back. And it's it's a little bit uh, amazing how um, long ago it all is, really. Um, it really doesn't feel like 25 years. I mean, in some ways it feels longer, but in a lot of ways it just feels like five years or something, you know. Um, a lot of the songs on the first album have been staples of the live set since then, you know, like The Good Will Out and Good Good People and Cracked What You Know and stuff. Um, but there's a lot of songs on the first album that we haven't played for ages. Um, and so when we do the album in order, front to back, um, it is really different. And, and, I, and I was a little bit worried that you know, it might lull in the middle or, you know, it might, you know, you know, the crowd might not be up for it. But um, we just did a really big gig at the Peace Hall in Halifax and it was one of the best gigs we've ever done. And we did, we did the first album in order at that and um, there wasn't a dull moment. It just went, went really, the atmosphere just seemed to lift everything. It was amazing. Yeah, there's something really cool about like, I don't know, albums mean different things to different people and everyone coming together to celebrate that for all different reasons, but being able to just kind of like to to sing those songs and stuff. I don't know, there's something really nice about about celebrating an album that that means a lot. You know, I think it's a, 
a cool thing. But were you, um, because you guys were like pretty young starting out, were you always into music and were you always a creative person, Danny? Um, well, I was about, I think I was about six when Elvis died. And um, there was a lot of TV programs about it, a lot of documentaries, and they also reshowed all the films that he was in. And I just remember thinking Elvis was really cool and wanted to be Elvis from that age. Um, and my grandma got me a leather jacket. And um, yeah, I used to do impressions of Elvis when I was like six uh, for whatever small change or speech or whatever you had in your pocket at the time. Um, so yeah, pretty much since then, really, I've, I've wanted, I'd wanted to be, you know, sort of a rock and roll star. Yeah. Oh, mate. And uh, how old were you when the, the band started? Because you were a band for a, a little bit before the debut, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, me and Richard started doing it from school, really. Um, but we didn't really become Embrace until Richard's 18th birthday when Mike joined. Um, so, yeah, we were together for as Embrace for about must be about eight or nine, seven or eight years before we got a record deal. So yeah, there was a lot of um, a lot of rehearsing, a lot of playing to two men and a dog, you know that sort of thing. Um, all the usual sort of rite of passage stuff that you go through as a northern working class band. We went through all that, um, but yeah, then we did um, a demo that had one big family, highest heights, and last gas on it, and and suddenly the phone started ringing off the hook you know it was it was amazing yeah were you aware when like some of those songs started coming out of you were you kind of aware that oh hang on the like the game's changing a little bit here this is a this is a thing then yeah a little bit yeah um we recorded them with a guy called Dave Crefield at Bowman Street Studios in Huddersfield and um everything just come together at the demo session, the songs didn't sound anywhere near as good as that until we actually recorded them and something magical happened on that day. Um, and yeah, we sort of, I think we found our own thing, you know, what we were about and and then from there on it just grew and grew. Yeah. And where does you've been um, very open in the past about your mental health, Danny, and that's what we're going to talk a lot about today. But where when does that enter the picture? Was that, uh, you know, were you having, um, you know, challenges at that time or what? How does that how do these two, the band and the, the mental health thing, how do they kind of work together? Yeah, I had um, I got post-traumatic stress um, between the ages of 19 and 22. And the band got a record deal when I was 26. So it's all it's all a little bit before, you know, the public eye. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, I had it really bad for three years, but then it sort of, it took a while before it went away completely. Um, so, I mean, even now I still have the odd day where, where, where you know, the feelings come back. Um uh but yeah, by and large I'm I'm completely well now. So so that's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you started getting poorly, mate, did you did you even know what these things were? You know, was there anything kind of on your oh, radar? No, I had no idea. I mean the um the 
I, I thought was going mad and I thought I was really reluctant to go to anyone for help. This was, you know, it was before the internet really and definitely before social media. Um, so there wasn't anybody, you know, I couldn't just like write into Google and try and find, you know, sort of a support group or anything like that. Um, and I was worried that if I went to the doctor, they'd lock me up and throw away the key and I'd never see my mum and dad again, you know. So uh, I suffered in silence for a really long time until it got so bad that, you know, literally I just couldn't leave the house. And um, my mum uh, actually carried me to the doctors. Um, I was I was down to about ten and a half stone then as well, which, I mean, I'm six foot two, so that's pretty skinny you know yeah um you know I'm, I'm about 13 stone now so you know so that's what I should be you know when I'm healthy yeah um and um yeah the doctor just said like I had a phobia of evil uh which wasn't true but just you know no one had any understanding of mental health back then and there was a mix up of uh uh whether I was going to go and see a psychiatrist privately or with the NHS and so I waited for them to give me an appointment and they thought I was going to be booking it privately and so months went by and I just went down and down and down um and then eventually I got to see this psychiatrist and um I could immediately see the light at the end of the tunnel um it was just an amazing, really cathartic feeling. And um, while it took a while for me to get fully better, um, I really had that sense right from that very first session that I was on the right track. And um, and yeah, it's it's I've got a lot of a lot of um, belief in psychiatry and psychology like that. Um, I know that, you know, all uh, therapists aren't made equal um, and that, you know, one that I might find amazing, you might go see the same guy and and there might be no good for you. So I know there's a lot of trial and error or there there can be, but I definitely think that um, certainly if you're in a crisis, there are people out there who've got really simple but really effective tools to help and that was certainly my experience and um I basically asked him you know because he didn't he didn't want to label it like he just said I had like anxiety disorder um I said have have I got post-traumatic stress disorder which is you know what it was known at the time um before they lost the disorder word um and uh and he said yeah but let's not you know Let's not go on about that. Let's just and make it better. And actually, um, more recently, uh, found out that actually what I had was pure oh, um, OCD. Like um, that wasn't even invented back then, <laughs> so they wouldn't have been able to give me that label because it didn't even exist. But um, uh, since. Uh, sort of talk about my mental health journey and various people have come forward who've been through exactly the same thing and and basically yeah it's it's I I basically had that um and it was brought on by 
stress after a trauma. Um, so it was post-traumatic stress led to this OCD symptom. Um, it's probably the most accurate up-to-date way of, of uh, describing what I had. I'm sure in 10 years time, there'll be a more nuanced, better way of describing <laughs> it. And I, and I really hope so, because, um, you know, the more we learn about these things, the more we talk about these things, the more that we're open about these things, the less people suffer in violence, which can only be a good thing. That's it, mate. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? Like trying to, I don't know, trying to get that diagnosis or, you know, put, put a name to stuff, put a label to stuff. And some people that really works for, and some people that doesn't. Right. But I kind of think that a lot of these things, the, you know, so a way I like to say it, people who listen regularly are going to roll their eyes because I say this all the time, but you know, we all break in different ways, but it's often the same stuff that spills out. Right. So the, these thoughts, these feelings, they're just the normal everyday feelings. They're just on steroids. You just can't control them. And then so that it's very easy to, especially now with social media and you look on and it says like, oh, here are five signs. You might have high functioning anxiety. And it lists like five really generic things that everybody's going to experience at, at one point. But it gets because of the overlap between the diagnosis, it can get really like it can get kind of murky ground, can it? A little bit. Yeah, um, I I, uh, I found giving it a label really useful. Um, there's a really good TV show called Pure. Um, and in it, the girl has got pure O, but her version is like sort of sexual shame. So everywhere she looks, she sees like all sorts of sort of degrading and depraved stuff going on, how she imagines it. Um, and she thinks she's going mad like I did. And mine wasn't uh, sexual shame. It was much more sort of macabre and violent and, and dark. Um but yeah, equally as terrifying. And um, there's a scene in that TV show where she goes to the library and and finds a book that lets her know that she's not on her own, that she's got something, and it's she's not going mad. It's just a totally understandable and recognisable condition. And that's incredibly cathartic for her, and it's really moving um, because... You know, knowing that other people have had what you've got and and there's possibly, you know, a way out, I think is, um, you know, having that hope is really important, I think. Oh, mate, hope, isn't it? And it's the absence of hope. It's that, you know, thinking I'm never going to be well, thinking no one's ever going to understand me. You know, those those are the things that kill you, right? Those are the things that, that kind of drag you down. And it's so common what you said there about like thinking you were going mad my show is called proper mental because um when i had my first breakdown that's the only words i had for it i just thought i was going fucking nuts i thought i was going proper mental that's the only way i could talk about it and all the same stigmas uh you know i'm gonna get locked up they're gonna take my kids off me you know and even the uh, the stigma around like going to hospital to get help right so everyone's so scared of being sectioned i've now spoke to loads of people who have been sectioned and in some cases it like really really helped them but you know all i could picture was one floor over the cuckoo's nest that was my only frame of reference for any of that stuff right and that like yeah. you just don't it, everything is scary isn't it everything is scary when you're in that place well a lot of the references in art and media about mental health are usually about deranged lunatics or violent psychopaths or some combination of the two um and mental health it's sort of used as a 
up to up the stakes in thrillers and stuff like that. Um, which is why that episode, that uh, TV show, Pure, I felt was um, so important because uh, it wasn't doing any of that. And it was just really talking about what it's really like. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I uh, currently work on the TV myself. I'm like writing scripts. And one of the scripts I'm working on is sort of my version of that, the, the sort of the, OCD. Um, I thought I was going to be a serial killer. Um, I was absolutely convinced, and uh, and now when I think about it, obviously it's, it was absolutely mental. But I know that I was completely convinced I was going through it all. So um, yeah, we're we're making a TV show out of it. So hopefully you'll watch this space. Yeah, yeah, and you know we're we're learning so much in like in like modern times and recent years, we're learning the importance of representation in the media, isn't it? And like mental health is on that, that list as well, you know, and um, it's a good way to, to reach people, to reach people who are poorly and not saying anything and they don't know what's going on. And then, yeah, seeing yourself on, on a telly, that's a big, um, you know, yeah, it's a big, big thing, man. Yeah. yeah making, making people realize that they're not alone. I think, you know, that's what I've always tried to do with my songwriting and it's also, yeah, what I'm doing with my TV stuff as well. Yeah. It, was that kind of what inspired your decision to start talking talking openly about this stuff, Danny? Um, well, that's a funny one. Like, um, it was a tweet that I saw uh, Stephen Fry and Stan Collymore were talking about mental health on Twitter about five years ago, maybe longer. And um, Stephen Fry was going on about um, bipolar and um, Stan Collymore, I think, as well. And I just thought, no one's really talking about post-traumatic stress or OCD, so I thought I'd start talking about it. And, um, yeah, then he went viral, you know, like everyone was... Um, there's this massive outpouring, which uh, I was really surprised by. Um, and then so now, like, uh, there's various, like, mental health charities and organisations that have reached out that I try and help when I can. And, um, yeah, when I get asked to do interviews about mental health, generally I'll, I'll do it. Um, we had... We get a lot of we get a lot of interview requests, and usually I get one of the rest of the band to do it. Um, um, but yeah, when it's to do with mental health, I always uh, try and do it myself. Yeah, oh mate, and it's you know I'm you know I'm hugely appreciative of that today, <laughs> mate. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, it's it's kind of like I suppose as well, you know, different different people are into different things. And if you're really into music and seeing someone in a band that you listen to, you know, and I, 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 when I, when I first started struggling, I didn't know what it was. I went looking for it. I went looking on the internet to try and find something. And I, I, one of the big problems is I I couldn't find anyone who looked like me, you know, a lot of the people talking about mental health were a lot of like really rich people on posh podcasts talking about mindset and you know, all this. And I just didn't, I, I was like, where's the people who sound like me? Where's the people who look like me? And, 
you know, I think like, yeah, being in a band, like, you know, when, if these things were in the music papers, I'm going to make an assumption here, but yeah, when you were, when you were young, when you were 19, you're having these problems. If like someone on the front cover of the MA and NME had also talked about these things, then, you know, could have, could have saved you a bit of time, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've always thought that. I always thought that, yeah, I used to read the enemy religiously. And if, if when I was 19 and the band had been talking about it, I wouldn't have suffered alone for as long as I did, you know? So that's another reason why I'm always up for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Was that when you first like contacted that, um, the therapist and first started going to therapy? I mean, there's a lot of stigma around therapy. Not so much now, it's a bit more common, but I'm a, I'm gonna assume in like back then, even like words like psychiatrist, like they're yeah. scary words too, right? Was that kind did it feel like a big deal at the time to be you know, seeing a shrink, quote unquote? Yeah, um, I was really worried he wouldn't be able to help because if he couldn't help, you know. I wouldn't have had any hope, you know. So I was I was really scared. Uh, I thought, oh, if he's not going to help me, what am I going to do? Where else have I got to go? Um, but also, because I was absolutely convinced I was going to be a psychopath, he gave me his home address, and I thought, oh, my God, he's so brave giving me his home address. Doesn't he know what I'm capable of? Um and I think that's the first thing I said to him when I walked through the door. I was like, I can't believe you've you've let me into your house, you know, where you live with your wife and kids. Don't you know what I'm capable of? And he sort of giggled and said, I'm sure I'm going to be all right, you know. And just sort of hearing me say that out loud, I kind of realised how ridiculous it, it sounded, especially when he giggled. Um, and that's it, like... Right off, and you'll have awful thoughts in your mind. And when they're just around in your mind, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. But um, quite often, if you just say them out loud, they, they start shrinking again, you know, because often they seem ridiculous when, when it's sort of cold, like a dayish on them, you know? Yeah, definitely. I kind of, uh, I don't know. I even laugh at some of the things I'd say. Obviously, I'd never laugh at some of the things that other people say, but some of the things that I used to say when I wasn't well, because it's so like bizarre and out of context. But in that moment, it's the most real, the real thing. And you and you believe it. But um, you know, yeah, saying it out loud sometimes it can kind of help you kind of, I suppose, separate yourself from it, can't you? You know, where yeah. when things getting too much, too much yeah, in your head. Totally, yeah. Yeah. So like when the you know, the album comes out and you guys were like, you were big straight off the bat, you know, the uh, interesting fact for you, the Goodwill Out is the third CD I ever bought, but there you go. Right. <laughs> but um, uh, I always kind of, there's a quote that I always think about, right? And it, it's, um, it's easy to be a monk in a monastery, right? So I, when I first started going through recovery and getting better with my mental health, I was far too protective about it. I played it really, really safe because I was really scared of getting sick again. And, yeah. you know, like looking at your timeline there, the first thing that jumped out is like, as you were getting better, your band's getting bigger. So, you know, was there ever like a worry that, you know, you're going on tour, you're away from home, you know, did it kind of haunt you a little bit, Danny? Or um, I avoided drugs. <laughs> so um you know one of the things that you get when you're in a band especially when you're on the road is everyone offers you drugs um and I, it was just a line in the sand for me like after my mind sort of going to some pretty bizarre places on its own I really didn't want to fuck with that again um so yeah I was uh I, I used to 
think, and you know, I'd smoke a little bit, but um, you know, and anything else like you know, acid or coke or MDMA or you know, whatever it is, I would I would never touch anything like that. Um, and yeah, um, there were there were times when the OCD um, it went from my mind into my heart and so like I started getting palpitations and stuff like that and and then it went from my heart and now it's in my voice so I've sort of got a bit of a speech impediment that means that if I focus too much on my speaking it gets harder for me to speak um so it is a it's a tricky little fucker um and it feels like it's sort of um it's it's uh it's laid roots it's 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 sort of camping there inside my mind you know it's not going anywhere so i've just made peace with it you know like um it's just part of me um makes life more interesting gives me something to kick against um and uh yeah i mean it, it doesn't stop me being happy because I've never been happier. Um, and so uh, one of the things I would say to anyone who's got either OCD or, you know, any any mental health issue is there is hope. And um, if you hang around, life has a, a really um, messy habit of getting better. Um, yeah. All you have to do is hang around. Because if you don't, it definitely won't get better, <laughs> you know. Um, John Lennon said that thing was like, it'll all be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. Um, I really like that. I mean, it doesn't make any fucking sense at all, but I really <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I was yeah, thinking it could end at any time, and things could be really shit. So it's not logical, but I do like it. It sort of has like sort of a heart to it. Um, yeah. and, and, and oddly, even though it doesn't make any sense, I sort of agree with it. It's like, you know, um, you're only here once, so you know, just just make the most of it, you know. Yeah, and it, there's a lot of power in that kind of acceptance. You know, I fought against, you know, my my mental health for um, yeah, for a long time. You know, and it's a battle you just can't win. And the harder I fought, everything fought back, and that's kind of that kept me trapped somewhere for a long, long time. And yeah. as soon as I was like, oh, hang on, no, this is something that I can learn to live with. Yeah. And, you know, I don't have to find a cure and I don't have to search out all the answers. I can just like be with it and be better. Things got better, like reasonably quickly once I stopped yeah. fighting it, right? Just accepting. Because um, you can't beat yourself at an arm wrestle. And you can't really beat yourself at knots and crosses either, you know. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you, just, you just can't. And also you can't lift yourself up. Like otherwise you'd better levitate. So when you accept all of those things, it's just like just let things be. Um and and like I said, yeah, life does have a, a, a really gnarly habit of just getting better all by itself, you know. It just does. You know, shit comes along and then good stuff comes along. Yeah. Like belt. That's it. Yeah. Element time, right? Time's going to pass. And, uh, you know, yeah, sometimes you just got to hold on, hold on and let it pass yeah. and, and see what's yeah. what's further down the road. Yeah. yeah. There's something really um 
really nice about that, mate. Yeah. I wanted to um, chat a little bit about um, the latest album that came out last year as well. Okay, yeah. You know, I mean, just like the, the title in itself, how to be a, a person like deserve other people that kind of like, I think a lot of people who um, have, I don't know, not just, experienced mental health struggles but just kind of done some like personal development or some digging under the surface or uh you know would really relate to that title i kind of get it. as someone who you know because of anxiety because of depression would often see myself very very separate to other people and looking at other people's lives it kind of yeah there's a lot it's a, it's a great title um you know it where did where did that come from is where did um, uh... well it's actually in the it's uh for the on the joke um in that is as uh joke as looking at other people in this interview and he's watching how to be a person like other people and i just thought oh, i love that title that's really, that's a title and it was it's a bit long you know, my manager was like it's too long i'm like uh fuck off how i the one before it was love is a basic need so that's fine how to be a person like other people that's eight yeah fair enough it's a bit long but uh, i mean uh, my weakness is none of your business that's seven you know (laughs) i mean we're just good at long titles just get over it Uh, and it just it just meant so much um that the, the idea that you know, so joining the human race is a cure for your ills, you know, um, realising you're not on your own. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of that is in me getting married and settling down and having a couple of kids. And, yeah, life just kind of smacks you in the face like a baseball bat when you do that. And it's kind of kill or cure, you know, Um and I, and I and I think I've really grown as a result of it. You know, I feel like I've become this sort of gentler, mop-ish. And, um, you know, I just feel like I've got more, more to give now, you know. Yeah. I always think those are lovely type of words to use when you're talking about being a parent as well, you know, like gentler and patient. You know what I mean? They're the type of words that I would love to be love to say about myself I'm a, you know i'm a dad too and i think there's, there's, there's nice words to be associated with parenting well i mean it's like a muscle like you know when, when you've got a one-year-old screaming all night because they're teething or you know a three-year-old um who's <laughs> screaming all night because they've they've had a nightmare or whatever um you have to learn a well, however knackered you are on the back burner and just be there and, you know, hours at a time for days on end, for weeks on end, months on end, you're, uh, your life's not your own. And and what happens out of that is you sort of grow this muscle um, where you're suddenly able to be really patient for everyone, you know, not just your kids, because you've got this muscle now where you can listen and where you can, you know, take time. And I've always been really driven and, and um, you know, always wondering what's up for the next pound and, and um, really ambitious. Um, and I still have that. But now I've also got this other side that can just stick Danny McNamara on once a bit and concentrate on what my family needs um and 
and and and it makes me really happy you know it gives me a, a sense of purpose a sense of purpose um you know that i that i've got value over and above what i achieve you know um that that i can give um that just as a person i'm enough um and it's not related to, you know, how many number one albums I've had or, you know, if all that went away, I think I'd still feel worthwhile. And that's as a result of meeting my wife and having children. Um, it's sort of situated me in the world um, and made me realise what's important and um yeah yeah that's really lovely mate did you kind of like before the family stuff did you kind of um did you look at other people and think how could I be a person like those other people or did you yeah. not know yeah, yeah. No, I, used to, I used to look at people who, who who did all that and think that they were like Stepford wives or something you know like how the fuck can you be happy with that screaming in your ear like what the <laughs> fuck you know I did I I thought they were mental and they always seem to just say like loads of really nice things and be smiling. And I thought, you're lying. You've got to be lying. This is just all the fun. You're fooling yourself, you know? Um, and because it's, I mean, you know, the truth is it's not fucking easy, you know, um, as you, as I'm sure you know, you know, but um, it's definitely net positive. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm always like really interested in like what my kids, what I can learn from them, right? As as like stereotypical as that sounds, but when you're talking about, um, you know, going to therapy because you learn to understand yourself and you learn to understand your feelings and your emotions. Well, like kids haven't had that rubbed out of them by society yet, right? So like, I, it's the it's the like watching them how they respond and how they react, and you think it's like, yeah, I want to be a person like other people, but I want to get back in touch with with that i want that level of like honesty and openness and be able to like express myself in the way that in the way that they do right it's um it's really yeah, inspiring amount, stuff the amount of life that my daughter seems to throw at everything is just you know and she's oh, in the moment i mean she's just she's just come four years old and everything's an adventure and uh she's she never shuts up <laughs> <laughs> And she's just got questions about everything. And she's at that stage where she says why to everything. And, you know, you find yourself like, you know, why? I'm like, I don't know. Why? Uh, well, because I don't know everything. Why? You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so now, like, if, if I know one of those is coming, I just say, like, why do you think? And that usually shuts her up. If I need a bit of peace, just like, you know, yeah. bite it back. Turn the tables. <laughs> but she's at that stage where bargaining with us seems to work so because as you know like kids when they can't get what they want god they're not i'll let you know that they're not happy about that <laughs> screaming and shouting and throwing a tantrum and kicking on the floor and you know everything and um but at the moment i sort of worked out the system of bargaining with her where um if she's good, she gets some chocolate buttons and it goes up every day that she's good. 
And if she's bad, it starts coming back down again. Ah, so, I like it. This is this is a new thing. I've started trying it two or three days ago. Seems to be working. As um, we uh, we left, I brought her home from preschool yesterday, and and uh, she's like, I've been saying please and thank you all day, Daddy. Like she's trying to get in my good books. <laughs> <laughs> keeping account, keeping an eye on that button count, mate. And know? it's the difference between like she starts on two and then it goes up to four, and then she's on six at the moment. So she's been good three days in a row. So fingers crossed, it's working. But yeah, when does she get to cash them in? As soon as, soon as she's bad, it goes back down to two again. <laughs> when does she get to cash them in, mate? Uh, at at Ah, uh, Okay, yeah. So. Because you don't want them to eat all that sugar on an empty stomach, otherwise you just fucking tear ass around the house like gremlins. <laughs> um, so yeah, after she's had it, she's allowed to have a couple of chocolate buttons. So yeah, yeah. But we're quite. I mean, in my day, you just used to have like three like Macintoshes, off cuts of like wagon wheels and uh, lion bars. Just my mum used to just throw them down my neck. But now it's like even one sweet is a big deal. You know, it's all like no sugar, no salt, no you know, <laughs> only home cooked ingredients. God, in my day, you were lucky if you had pizza and chips. You know what I mean? Pizza <laughs> yeah. a posh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It must be like a you know quite a strange thing to be in like you know Danny on on stage singing for a brace, and then Danny like you know less than five hours later bargaining over. Chocolate bars, oh, yeah. you know, like <laughs> it can be yeah. grounding for you, mate. Yeah. Well, she she actually came. My daughter came to the sound check uh, when we did the pizza hall gig, and uh, she's never she's never seen me on stage before in real life. And I, I picked her up and walked on stage with her, and she got really shy. And she's never shy. Um, but yeah, that was pretty groovy. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's like the two things are uh, coming together, right? The two yeah. uh, two important parts of your life. Yeah, yeah, that's really um really cool. I wanted to well, like, while we were talking about um last year's album as well. There's something that I've kind of noticed um uh just maybe in the last like year or two really is I don't know if you've noticed it as well. Is like a kind of shift in the music industry that people seem to being like valuing albums a little bit more after years of playlists and Spotify and singles yeah. and stuff, because that album, it really seemed to hit. I saw it everywhere. It seemed to do really well. Yeah. And yeah. there's other bands that I'm into that are, you know, they like, I don't know, Frank Turner had his first number one last yeah. year, you know, like yeah. it, it, there seems to be a real shift. Have you noticed that from your side of the industry? Um, a little bit. It feels like it's not going down anymore. So, you know, it's sort of hit the bottom and started to come back up again. Um, yeah, a little bit. There's like a bit of a resurgence in vinyl as well, uh, which is good. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's it's sort of my like pep Eve, the way that hedge and gangsters have, you know, from Napster and then Spotify have sort of come along and stolen all our money, money that belongs to artists. Um, people who've got fucking nut talent whatsoever um daniel eck and the like um just you know making themselves and their mates billionaires while the rest of us you know don't have any money anymore um so i'm not not very happy with that um but people will always love music you know it's 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 a vital you know it's um 
it's what's that quote? It's it's as important as life, or someone said something like, "No, it's much more important than that," or something. Um, yeah, music is everything to me, um, and I've never done it for the money, um, and I'm all right, you know. I've got a roof in my head, but uh, not as big as fucking Daniel X. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. It's yeah. It's like without the without the art, the whole industry is nothing, and the people who are creating the art are the ones on the the wrong end of the stick. And it, yeah. yeah, it doesn't doesn't make sense, man. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a mess, a real Bad. mess. Yeah. Bad. Have you ever um we're talking about music? Have you ever written about your like mental health? Has that ever featured in um in any songs? Is that snuck in there? Somewhere? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I suppose it's uh, you know in to some degree in every song I've written really um because it's a uh, really sort of fundamental part of who I am um but yeah the title track how to be a person like other people I mean that's definitely about that you know um but yeah all, all the way through uh since we began I've been writing about it so yeah you can definitely spot it in there yeah it seeps in yeah and there's um I, the other thing I just wanted to touch on is um you know, you mentioned uh, going to therapy and having so much success with it. Have you gone? Have you gone back? Is it something you still do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, me and my wife went for couples therapy because um, we had some uh, fertility issues, and, um, and we were worried that that was going to lead to uh, you know bigger issues. Unfortunately, uh, didn't. Um, and then, yeah, before that, um, I had a really bad break up and sort of blamed myself and ended up going for therapy and spent about three years in therapy for that. <laughs> so, yeah, um, if, you know, I mean, if, you, if your car's not working, you go and see a mechanic, you know, if your brain's not doing what you want it to do, you should go see a therapist, you know. It's, I don't think there's any any different to that really you know mm. um you know if you need your hair cut and you go see a barber it's not like you know and i think the attitude of not going if someone says to me i don't need to go see one my immediate thought is like you definitely need to go see one <laughs> because anybody would say that to themselves in the face of someone suggesting it it's kind of self-evidently you kind of it's kind of proof that you need to go see one you know if you think you don't need to go see one and someone's suggesting you should i would just go because <laughs> yeah. quite often people who think they're all right are the worst yeah i suppose you if know? you're if you're showing that see it you know that everyone else is looking at you going oh you need to maybe you should go and get some help and if you're going no i'm fine it's like you're worse than someone who realizes they're not fine you know yeah definitely and i know I a lot of people like that particularly men um who you know i just think oh my god you know a therapist wouldn't know where to start you met you know um you know anybody has you know, when I was a lad, this happened, this happened, this happened, and it never did me any harm. Do you know what I mean? Anybody who says that, <laughs> straight to therapy, do not pass go. 
off you go. <laughs> just, just go like, just go for like a little touch up, you know. Just let's pretend it's no big deal. Let's like you're doing a car a service. Just go and see, you know. Because people do, you know, like in their 50, when you're 50, you go to the doctor and they give you like a quick checkup, don't they? Just to make sure everything's still in working order. Go for a mental health, one of them. Because first of all, if it's and it never did you any harm, well, it already made you kind of insensitive who would come back and say it never did me any harm when somebody's talking to you about something that's really personal to them. So like you're already you're already on a sticky wicket. This yeah. usually men, that sort of thing. Usually men of a certain age. Yeah, very much so. It's that whole, you know, oh, we never responded like that in my day. And you think, well, like, <laughs> you know, good, good yeah. for you. And like, you know, maybe you had no choice in that. You know, like there's a thing about resilience, you know. I always say when people say, um, you know, we're talking about parenting before and people say, our oh, kids are so resilient. And I say, yeah, well, it's because they don't get a choice. Do you know what I mean? Because when you're five and you're told you are going to your room or you are moving house or whatever you do, they don't get a choice. So it's not resilience, you know, and it's it's kind of like the same sort of thing. Like, oh, it didn't bother me. And it's like, well, maybe you had no choice. And like, now we've got a, now we've got yeah. a choice. I think if you're looking back at the old days and you think that they were better than the days are now, again, you need to go see a therapist because the old days weren't better than they are now. I mean, it might go like that but it's on a general up trajectory everything i think yeah i mean you know just take it all the way back to cavemen you know when we were getting eaten by dinosaurs or whatever it's like that wasn't ideal <laughs> then it got slightly <laughs> better and then it got slightly better and you know it's just been getting better trust me you know yeah yeah very much so yeah, very much so <laughs> no it's um it's interesting do you think like people it, it's a case of like um I don't know, sometimes when you know you're not well, and I don't know if you experienced this, like, but when you know you're not well and you kind of think, well, I, this might be shit, but I know every inch of this shit. And if I open that door, I don't know what's the other side of it. And I might have to do something I don't want to do. And I might have to do something scary. You know, that that holds a lot of people back, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, that's sort of uh, fear of the unknown, of the like, almost like the Wizard of Oz is like really terrifying. But then when you remove the veil, it's just this little guy underneath, like moving all the buttons and that. And definitely, you know, one of the one of the reasons why people don't go for therapy is they think they're going to uncover a whole fucking Pandora's box and it's just going to make things worse. And there's that awful northern working class, least heads, misbended mentality. And it like... I mean, that works in, in like, sort of, you know, like, conversation or with a in answers. But if you've got a real issue, the least said is not the soonest mended, honestly. And, um, yeah, you, there's definitely trepidation there. Not only are you worried that you might uncover a fucking can of worms and go down a, a rabbit hole, but you're also worried that the person you're talking to might make it worse or might not be able to help or... Yeah, and that's that's the... that's why you have to be brave and 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 do it um because it's not going to make you worse it is talking about what's up with you is not going to make you worse it won't um i don't see how it can really um you know it, it might be cathartic you might cry a lot um but that's just letting it out. 
you know. I mean, your if your issues are like a pressure cooker, crying is like letting out steam, you know. Um, uh, so I, I, yeah, it does take an amount of balls, but I think I think um, I would always recommend doing it. If one of the reasons you're not doing it is you're worried that yeah, I've got a friend who said, I don't want to go and see my psychiatrist because I'm worried she's going to think I'm mad. Um, or it's like, that's definitely a reason to go. <laughs> <Do you know laughs> <what I mean? laughs> if you're worried you think that she's going to think you're mad, definitely go because she almost certainly won't think that you're going mad, but she will be able to help you understand why you're going to be all right. Um, you know, because people who are mad don't have that thought. They don't think, oh, my God, I'm going mad. They're just fucking mad, you know. They don't, they don't, they don't, you know, people who literally have lost it completely, lost their mental faculties, um, don't, you know, worry themselves into an early grave about going mad because they're already there, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I know a little bit about it because I've had so many issues, you know, like a lot of people have become a bit of an internet hypochondriac and I've, I've looked it all up, you know. You know, people who have, like, you know, awful conditions like schizophrenia and stuff, which is horrendous. When they're actually in a schizophrenic episode, it's like a dream, you know. It's almost like a break. And, yeah, those moments of sort of... I'm in between a really horrendous, but um, having a post-traumatic stress disorder, you never get a break. You're just constantly fucking worried. And I was, I was like, I was getting like, I was only awake for like eight hours a day. Um, it just, it was just really relentless, you know. Um, so the worry is the thing you need to get. That's the that's the the worst bit. The worrying about it is almost the worst bit, you know. Um, like with post-traumatic stress disorder, it's uh, killed more soldiers than active battle because people commit suicide as a result of how awful they feel. And it's the anxiety and the doom and the you know those awful like, harbor of feelings and. Um, that's as bad as it gets. And, you know, um, yeah, just it, go and get help if you've got that. Mm. For fuck's sake, don't worry about it. Um, the worst that can happen, really, is you don't get as much help as you hope for. But then it's just like get back on the horse and find someone else. You owe it to yourself. What would you what would you say to your best yeah, if they came to you and said that? If they came to you and said, I want to go for help, but I'm too scared. You'd say to your best mate, mate, you've got to go. And so just talk to yourself like you talk to your best mate, you know. Because at the end of the day, you need yourself more than you need your best mate. So treat yourself fucking as well, at least as you would do your best mate. 
That's it. That's the person you got to live with yourself, right? That's the person that yeah. you're that you're living with. So yeah, you got to got to look after yourself. I think like we, you know, we talked before about being when you like get stuck in your own head and you need to kind of un- unburden that. And I think when we're when we're drowning in these things, when they're dragging us down, um, we think it's the worst thing ever, and we think that it's the like we think that no one else is experiencing it. So we don't want to say it to a therapist, but look at it from the therapist's point of view, you know, a bit of anxiety, spread and butter stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, when I went there, I thought I was, I'd been reinvented the wheel or whatever. And it, it was just like, oh, it's this fucking textbook. You know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the actual job. You don't order a, you don't order a, you know, put off ordering a large chips because you're worried the guy in the chippy is going to think you're a greedy bastard. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's just, yeah. You know, it's like it's this. It's just what they do. Man. I was, I was oh, run of the mill to him. I'm absolutely convinced it was just a walk in the park for him. Whereas I thought I was going to fucking traumatize him with all the awful thoughts I'd been having, and he was going to lock me up because you know I wasn't safe to be around. And and he was just like, no, no, no. You know, you're worried about all that, and that's one of the reasons you need to come and see me. So let's get on with it. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's just, yeah, it's just reassuring, isn't it? Just to know that these things aren't as abnormal as we think and that help is out there and you know you can be okay that's the best message isn't it you can you can be okay yeah i'm i'm totally all right now except for the issues with my voice i'm uh 100 and mentally all right now and yeah uh, um yeah it's uh if you just that me 30 years ago when i was in the middle of all this i would never have believed you yeah. I also used to think I was like one of the smartest people on the planet. So I just thought that there was no one who would, who would be smart enough to be able to outsmart my fucking dark brain, you know? I really thought that. Uh, I mean, that's just like, you know, teenage hubris or whatever. Um, I mean, I am pretty smart, but I'm not that fucking smart, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways i'm uncommonly smart but in other ways i'm really fucking dumb you know what I mean? <laughs> too smart for your own good daddy <laughs> you know well yeah you know um and, and and i come across that a lot with friends as well who think they fucking know it all and won't listen to anyone and it's like those are the people who really need help because they won't go because they think they know it all and they get themselves into their own little loops and uh you know, it only takes one with half a degree in like psychotherapy to be able to say, you know, just look at it this way, and suddenly you go, it's so obvious. But until someone says it to you, or you, or you look, you're looking at the world from your own perspective. Someone going, hey, look at it from this side. Suddenly you're like, what? <laughs> I've got a big nose. You fucking kidding me? I never knew that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's as clear as the fucking nose on your face sometimes the issues that you've got from another person's perspective. Which is why, you know, if someone's, someone gently suggests it to you, then I, I would just, yeah, just go for a plug and points, like little brush up, you know, and see what's going on under the hood. Yeah, no, a big fan of that. I um, I went to therapy for the first time because I was in crisis and I go now because I try, you know, I want to try and be a better person. I want to be a better dad, a better husband. I want to understand myself, you know, and like it's not you can get to you can go for one reason and then you can go for other reasons and you can take breaks and you can take it back up. And it's just, yeah. you know, it's always there, isn't it? It's always there. Yeah, I I um, I went initially for about three years for the post-traumatic stress and then uh, when me and my last big girlfriend got married broke up, I went again for, uh, it was a couple of years, maybe a little bit longer. 
and then more recently in sort of the last sort of four or five years when me and me and my wife were having trouble conceiving we went for a few um it was only like two or three everything was all right uh but that was just like you know almost preemptive you know if we're gonna hit these issues let's be ready for them you know let's not let it build up so i'm just a massive believer in it you know um um i think if you're questioning whether you should or you shouldn't then just just do it you know yeah i want to remove as much of the stigma away from it as i can Mm. um uh make it cool let's make it cool let's make going for therapy a fucking cool thing to do you know yeah, like making self-awareness be like a cool thing. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, like wearing it like a badge of honor or something. You know. Um, yeah, and I think I think I think the world would be a better place if everybody did. Yeah, so, completely agree, mate. Completely agree. And uh, yeah, it's, it's um very beautifully put. Um, I'm conscious of your time today, mate. I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much um, oh, my pleasure it's been lovely to chat lovely to meet you and um yeah just thank you for uh thank you for everything dude all right well let me know uh you know um when it's coming out a link and i'll get it all over all the socials oh yeah that'd be uh that'd be great it'd be about um be about a a, a couple of weeks and um, right. yeah my wife and i are coming we're coming to see the tour so we're coming along in manchester so i'll be all right brilliant, as well. so, yeah that's really sick but yeah i appreciate it so much man thank you all right so, really cool. Take care, Larry. Thank you. Mate. Big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast.